Some of y'all wanted to keep singing that one, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, um, it's my uh, privilege to introduce to you Dr. Laura Smith. There's a little piece about her just in the front of the hot off the press. Um, you'll see you know, theology professor at Calvin College and Seminary. Um, she's uh, very active in uh, leadership of um, the Covenant Order of Evangelical Presbyterians, the ECO, our denomination. She actually really is the primary author of The Essential Tenets. Um, which are what really tethers us theologically to the truth um, that's revealed in the scriptures. So it's really our privilege to be able to, to hear um, uh, from her today through uh, God's word. Um, uh, but really, Dennis and I, it was really Dennis's invitation. So Dennis, who you want to speak? said, oh, we should get Laura to come and speak um, because... Uh, um, what we've encountered in her is, is one with clarity and kindness. Yeah, and there's some of us that are um, really kind, but not very clear. And then there are others of us that are really clear, but not really that kind. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and, and what we've experienced uh, with, with Laura is... Um, really a wonderful combination of, of both of those um, as really as a witness to, to Jesus who is the same you know, was was both clear and kind um, and uh, both in uh, um, she, uh, we work together in the ministry partnership team and where we interview um, new pastors and um, churches and it's been wonderful to work with her in that way and she was the one that interviewed uh, Dennis um, and so how they got to know one another as well so Laura um, and her gra- the graduation at Calvin was yesterday up in Grand Rapids they finished at 5 and she drove down last <laughs> night to be with us um, today so it was really an honor um, for you to be with us so thank you very thank much you. Laura. <clears throat> Well, thank you so much. Um, I understand this is the casual service, and I'm not dressed appropriately. But So I'm going to tell you why I wear this robe. It's not because I think I'm so special. Um, in fact, the idea behind the robe is kind of an erasing of your specialness to sort of say, I'm not here for myself. I'm here in my office. But the reason I always wear I even wear it at the college service where everyone else is in shorts, you know, um, And no one is dressed up at all. But I wear my robe because when I was a graduate student, I was part of a church which will forever be my home church. You know, many of us belong to a lot of different churches in our lives. But there's that one church where you fit, right? That's the church where I fit. And when I left that church and I left grad school to go to Calvin College, they gave me this robe. And when the pastor put it on me, he said, you always have to wear this whenever you preach to remember that you're not speaking just on your own behalf, but you're sent. You're sent from us. So I always wear it because he told me to. And I am by nature a very obedient person. So, so even in really casual places. So I'm not wearing it because I think I'm so special. I'm wearing it because I'm sent from another church, a lovely congregation in uh, Boston, Massachusetts, in Cambridge, actually. And uh, so they're here with me, part of the big community of faith. Our text today is from Philippians, Philippians 3, verses 1 through 14. This is the passage Dennis picked 
Um, he's especially uh, committed, uh, to, well, he's committed to all of Scripture, of course, but verses 10 and 11 in this, in this passage are uh, the two verses that really help him understand his calling as a pastor. So when we get to those verses, pay particular attention. Um, I'm struck by the fact that he picked this passage because there are other passages he could have picked in the book of Philippians that would be a little bit more confident. Uh, you know, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, that sort of passage. But instead, he picked a passage about complete radical dependence on Jesus Christ, which I think tells us quite a lot about Dennis. Uh, so let's hear the word together. But before we do, let's pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to help us to hear this aright. Holy Spirit, open our hearts, soften our hearts to receive this word as your living presence. May this word be alive for us, active in us, taking root in us, bearing fruit in our lives, transforming and changing us. May we become more and more like Jesus as we encounter him here in his word. We pray in his name. Amen. From the book of Philippians, hear the word of God. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is not troublesome to me, and for you it is a safeguard. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of those who mutilate the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, who worship in the spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, even though I too have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of the Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. So, the heavenly call, that's where we're going to end up in this sermon, but let's start with something not quite so positive. 
Paul starts by calling some people some rather harsh names. And before he tells us about the life that he wants us to live in Christ, he tells us the wrong way to live. So what is that wrong way? The people who are advocating for the wrong way are the ones he calls dogs and evil workers and people who mutilate the flesh. And you might think, oh, obviously, these are people who would lead you into sin, right? These are are people who would tempt you to do really wrong things. People who are living worldly lives, giving in to all their appetites and desires. Now, there are certainly places in Paul's letters where he attacks that, where he's very critical of people who live lives governed by their appetites. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about people who look pretty holy. He's talking about people who are trying to take these Christians and bring them back under the law, under the Old Testament law. People who are saying to them, you need to work harder at righteousness. You need to keep all these rules. You need to do things to please God. You need to earn your way into his favor. And those are the people to whom Paul says, you are evil workers. That's an evil work to say to a free person, you've got to come back under the rules, under the law. You've got to earn your way into God's favor. No. Now, I think there's a tendency we often have when we read the scriptures to think that we've got that part kind of covered. You know, we're not Pharisees after all. And we know that we're not going to keep all those Old Testament laws. In fact, sometimes we break them a little too casually. You know, things like Sabbath observance, we just sort of toss that out. So, oh, we don't have a problem with that. And yet, we do have a problem with trying to earn our way into God's favor. I'm guessing most of the people in this room are Americans. This is especially an American problem. I mean, we're a whole country founded on the idea that we are self-reliant, that we are independent. That's how we started, declaring our independence. Nobody's going to tell us what to do. You know, everybody's completely in charge within his or her own home. Don't fence me in. All of those ideas of resisting control, being our own people, being self-made Those are all huge American values, and we are all touched by that. Even if we think we're resisting it, it's in the water, you know. We we just are taking it in all the time, this idea that I should be self-reliant. In the last big election cycle, uh, Mitt Romney talked this way all the time. It was kind of frustrating for me and funny at the same time Um, and whatever you think about Mitt Romney he was just dead wrong about this when he started saying I am self nobody helped me succeed I succeeded all by myself he would say this over and over and it's just the most obviously absurd thing to say partly my father's a sociologist so for my whole life I've always been taught about the interaction of society and how nobody does anything ever alone ever So to me, it was most self-evidently ridiculous. But nobody, nobody succeeds alone ever in life. If good things have come to you, there have been a lot of other people helping. Many, many, many people are contributing to what you are today for good and for ill. 
So the idea that I did it all myself, it's a silly thing to say. And since he is not a silly person, I suspect he didn't even quite believe it himself, but he kept saying it because that's what Americans like to hear. That's what we tend to reward. We reward people for being self-sufficient. But it's a lie. Paul says, if you think that you're going to be self-sufficient when it comes to God, well, let me tell you, I know how to do that. I have done it better than anybody, and I know it doesn't work. So if anybody had ever kept all that Old Testament law, Paul had done it. If anybody had earned God's favor, it would have been Paul. And Paul says, all of that effort I made to pay my own way, to be self-sufficient, to stand on my own two feet, not to depend on anybody else, it's all loss. Notice he does not say it's neutral. He says it's loss. It's actually a subtraction. It's something that takes away from what God's doing for me. Because it interferes with the right relationship I'm supposed to have with God, which is one of complete radical dependence. That's what it means to be a creature. So even apart from sin, we're supposed to be constantly, completely dependent on God. That's who we are. And then you add sin into the the mix, and we become even more helpless to do anything that's good. But we really don't like that. We... We say, yes, thank you, God, for saving me by your grace. We're so grateful. And did you notice that I did these little things on my own to kind of add to that? I did earn a little bit. Come on, you can give me some credit, right, God? Surely, surely you noticed these good things I've done, the sacrifices I have made. Surely you noticed that I'm living a better life than those people. Surely you notice that I'm doing without an awful lot of pleasure just to please you, and and I should get some credit for that. And so along with this very American idea about self-reliance comes a very typically American sin of resentment and entitlement. Hey, I have earned this. I have earned good things. I have a right to this. Why are you denying me what I have coming to me? And that attitude is everywhere in our society, and it's even in the way we come to God. We come to God saying, hey, why aren't you treating me the way I deserve? Why aren't you blessing me the way I think you should be blessing me? I've been doing good stuff. I have something coming to me. And we actually come to God in that demanding posture. I have earned this. No wonder Paul says that attitude is loss. That attitude leads you in completely the wrong direction. That attitude leads you away from God's grace. It leads you away from Jesus Christ. You have to set that down. Now, it doesn't mean Paul doesn't care what you do. He cares a lot about your behavior. But you become good as a reward from God, not something you do to earn a reward from God. So then, he says, here's the right way. The right way is to know Christ and to desire the knowledge of Christ above all other desires. Now, a lot of the languages have multiple words for knowing, right? 
many of you, we don't actually have that in, in English, but I, uh, I know French does. I think Spanish does. Uh, a lot of, lot of languages have multiple lang- words for how to know. So there's the knowing, like knowing facts, and then there's knowing a person that you're in a real relationship with. Well, you would think that this knowing would be the, the relational kind. I need to have Jesus as my friend. No, that's not it. He says, I just want to know him. I want to perceive him. I want to understand him. I want, I want to fill my whole mind with him. I want all these other crazy thoughts to be driven out of my brain because Jesus is taking the whole place over. I want all these other desires to be driven out of my life because Jesus is taking my whole desiring apparatus over. I want him to be the only object of my desire, the only object of my thought. Not because everything else is bad, but because I'm incapable of focusing on any of those things without getting myself in trouble. I mean, the world's full of good things, but I don't know how to love them properly until I love Christ. And then he teaches me how. It's not that Paul thinks the world's so evil. He doesn't. The world's made by God. It's good. It's not that Paul thinks pleasure is so bad. He doesn't. Pleasure is a gift from God. He thinks that our ability to know and to desire and to love and and to appreciate is all twisted up. And the only way to get it right is to, to know Christ. Put him at the top. Know him so that he fills everything, so that you see everything else through his eyes, through his mind. I want to know Christ. And then I want to know the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. Now, does it strike any of you that that seems backwards? Resurrection first and then suffering and death. I mean, that's not the order in which Jesus experienced these things, right? First he dies. Then he gets to rise again. Paul says, I want to know his resurrection power. Oh, and then I want to share in his death. Well, it seems backwards because that's the only way we can do it. You know, if, if, if you want to start sharing in the sufferings and the death of Jesus first in your own power, well, good luck with that. That's not going to get you very far. Okay, this is not going to work because you're not capable of being Jesus. Jesus was able to go to the cross and not fall into sin. Jesus was able to go into hell and not fall into sin. He was able to go into hell as an invader of hell. That's not who we are. So once again, we have to let go of our pride and say, no, I can't suffer. I can't die Until first, I am full of resurrection power. The resurrection power of Jesus has to take me over. And once I know his resurrection power, once it has come into me and changed me and filled me, now I can suffer. Now I can face death. Now I don't have to give in to any of those things. Now I can suffer with some triumph, right? Yes. So what is that resurrection power? What is it? Well, Paul talks about it a lot. So there are many passages we can look at to to get some idea of what resurrection power is. One of my favorites is Romans 6. I love Romans 6. It talks about what happens to us when we're baptized. And when we're baptized, we share in the death and resurrection of Jesus, Paul says. And because of that, we are transformed into a new kind of being. He says, he actually says this in Romans 6, you can no longer live in sin. 
And every time I read that, I think, I think I can, actually, Paul. I'm pretty sure I still do. Uh, But no, he keeps saying, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's what he says in Romans 6. How in the world does that work? Well, he's talking about a, a real change in our nature. That we've become a different kind of person. We, we no longer are sustained by our sinful desires. That's not where the energy for our life comes from. Instead, the energy for our life comes from the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God who is, is holding us and sustaining us and supporting us and giving us life. This is the example that, that I use with my students. So imagine that you used to be a kind of creature who lived in water. You had gills, you processed oxygen through the water. That's the kind of creature you were. You had to be underwater in order to breathe. Then imagine that something happened and you're transformed to a new kind of creature. Now you live on the land and you breathe air directly. Well, you can still go swimming, right? Uh, as a person who lives on the land, you can, still, you can still swim in your old life, but you can't live there anymore, and it's not life-giving anymore. It's not going to be a source of air for you anymore. I think that's what Paul's talking about. We used to be people who lived in sin. That's where we got all of our energy from, from sin. Jesus has changed you. Now you are a person. You live in the air. You live in the air of the Holy Spirit. You live in the breath of the Holy Spirit. You can still go swimming. You can still spend an awful lot of time in sin. And you might look just like you used to look before this big transformation. It might be that other people can't even tell that this transformation has occurred. But it has. It has occurred. You no longer live in sin the way you once did. You have been transformed into a holy person. That is what resurrection power is. And when you've had that resurrection power, you've been transformed into a different kind of person. Now you can suffer and you're still victorious in Jesus. Now you can face death unafraid. Now you can come to God and instead of saying, hey, look at my little pile of goodness here. See how much I've earned? You can just leave all that beside you and you can say, thank you, God, for your amazing goodness. Thank you for being all good all the time. Thank you for being the source of everything that's good. Thank you for being the good itself, the standard against which every other goodness is measured. You can start to concentrate there instead of on your little thing that you've done. Hey, I did this. Forget about that. Think about what he's done. Now, having talked about that, Paul then says, now this is a process. This is a process. He says, I haven't gotten there all the way yet. So don't worry, you're not all the way there yet either. But I'm still pressing on. I'm pressing on because having that new life, that resurrection power, that's the goal. That's the thing I want. That's the thing I'm hunting for. I'm pursuing it. I'm aiming at it. And I know there's a prize to be gained if I get there. And the prize is this upward or heavenly call. The prize is being made one with Jesus. That's what the heavenly call is. Jesus has 
blazed a path through the heavens for us. He is already now living in heaven at the right hand of the Father. That's where he is. And we're called to be one with him. We're called to have our citizenship there, to be living as citizens of heaven, not citizens of earth. Now, of course, we have to work here. We're ambassadors from heaven, so we've got to do some things here on earth. But we don't work here as citizens. We work as citizens of heaven, of another way of existing. And that's our prize. Our prize is union with Jesus, union with his life, being so connected to him that this heavenly life he is already living in the presence of his father, the life of glory, starts to find its way into us. Someday it will be ours fully. When we die and we're resurrected in our glorified bodies, we'll share in the resurrected life that he has now completely. But already now it begins to reshape us and reform us and make us into new kinds of people. And that resurrection power is available to you now. God doesn't just want to save you. He wants to transform you. He doesn't just want you to come into heaven by the skin of your teeth. He wants you to become a new creation. Someone who lives in freedom and in joy and in power because the power of Jesus is so fully in you. That, that calling, that upward call, that heavenly call to be united with Jesus, that's a call we all share. You know, the, the word call is also at the heart of the word church. The church, the ecclesia in Greek, ecclesia is the word calling. It's the same word here for the upward call. We all have it. The people who are called, called out. And here, called up. All of us. So today we're thinking especially about Dennis's call to be the pastor here, a pastor here in this church. But that call is secondary. The primary call for everybody in the room is this union with Jesus, this complete union with his resurrection power, this transforming experience of Jesus so that day by day by day we are transformed from one degree of glory to another, becoming more and more and more like him, moving as Paul was moving toward the goal of life with him in heaven. Let's pray together and ask that he will make that a little more true for us today and yet more true tomorrow. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank and praise you that we are not on our own, that we are not independent, that we are not self-sufficient because we make such a mess of things when we try. We thank you that, in fact, we depend completely holy on you we belong to you so help us to to stop resisting that to surrender to you to surrender to your lordship to surrender to your authority to give ourselves to you completely without reservation give us a longing to know you so that you fill our minds and our hearts so that you drown out all the other voices in our minds. So that you become the filter 
through whom we look at every other person so that we can see other people the way you see them and love them the way you love them, so that we can see our suffering the way you see it, so that we can see our death the way you see it. Turn us into people who reflect you, people who are aglow with resurrection power, people who face difficulties with joy, with peace, with confident hope. May our every moment be a witness to you. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, you, you, you've heard you know, our call, the call that God has uh, upon us, and that it is a lifelong process. It's not something that's going to you know, be done by next Sunday, um, but maybe by August. You know, <laughs> we'll shoot for August. Um, and that's part of what um, God has called Dennis to hear with us, to be one of the folks that leads us on this call. And that's that's why we have these times for elders and for pastors, folks in leadership, because we recognize just how supernatural this call is. It's, it's not done in worldly ways. It's not done in human power. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit. So today, then, in that secondary call of Dennis to, to come and help lead us on this heavenly journey upward we set this time aside to officially install him. Uh, a celebration um, before God. To, to seek God. To lead us through him. And um, Dennis has been on a journey with the denomination in terms of studying, in terms of um, uh, uh, then interview, filling out an application, an interview, and being approved and received into the denomination. Um, certainly for us as uh, one of the pastors here as well. And today becomes the, the celebration of that in a time that we then together in one voice come to God and saying, lead us. Yeah, lead him and lead us um, through him. So invite Dennis uh, to come forward. And Laura, as a representative of ECO, will have some um, specific questions for him. And then Penny um, uh, will have some questions for, the, for us as the congregation. And then I'll invite any um, elder and any pastor um, in the, the Christian church um, to come forward. And we'll lay hands on Dennis in, um, in a, a little bit. Laura. Some questions for you. Do you believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And do you boldly declare Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and acknowledge him Lord of all and head of the church? Yes, Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be the word of God and inspired by the Holy Spirit, the unique witness to Jesus Christ and the authority for Christian faith and life? Will you receive, adopt, and be bound by the essential tenets of ECO as a reliable exposition of what Scripture teaches us to do and to believe? And will you be guided by them in your life and ministry? Yes. Relying on the Holy Spirit, do you humbly submit to God's call on your life, committing yourself to God's mission, and fulfilling your ministry in obedience to Jesus Christ under the authority of Scripture and guided by our confessions? 
Will you be governed by ECO's polity and discipline? And will you be accountable to your fellow elders, deacons, and pastors as you lead? Yes. Do you promise to be faithful in maintaining the truth of the gospel and the peace, unity, and purity of the church? Yes. Will you pray for and seek to serve the people with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love? Yes. Will you be a faithful minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ by proclaiming the good news, teaching the faith, showing the people God's mission, and caring for the people? Yes. Now questions to the congregation. Do we, the covenant partners of this congregation, accept Dennis Hall as our assistant pastor, chosen by God through the voice of this congregation to lead us in the way of Jesus Christ according to the word of God and the constitution of ECO. Do we? We do. Do we agree to pray for him, to encourage him, to respect his decisions, and to follow as he guides us, serving Jesus Christ, who alone is the head of the church? Do we? We do. Do we agree to pay him fairly and to provide for his welfare as he works among us? Do we? We do. Will we listen to the word he preaches, welcome his pastoral care, and honor his servant leadership and authority as he seeks to honor Jesus Christ? Will we? As I said, however long the sermon may be. (laughs) And we still will. (laughs) I want to invite now any uh, elder or pastor that's uh, here to come forward and we'll um, surround Dennis. I also want to invite Sharon um, Hall's wife to come forward with him. And uh, as you come forward, then we'll um, ask them uh, to kneel. Not yet, not yet. We'll we'll wait till everybody gets here. You know. I want to give you some suffering, but not, uh, not any more than necessary. Also, I do want to um, uh, um, special welcome as well to Tim Dodenhoff, who's the eco-pastor at River Valley Church uh, down in northern Kentucky. Thanks, Tim, for being here. Yeah, yeah. Uh. Now, you'll... Kneel and invite to all to pray as you feel led. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Lord, we give you honor today. Mm-hmm. Father God, we just thank you for your leader here. Lord, guide and lead him. Bless him and his family, Father God. May the peace that surpasses all understanding just rest, rule, and reign in his heart, in his mind, in his home, in his wife, and in his children, Lord. Lord, bless him wherever he, he walks, Lord. And Lord, we just pray that we will provide for him. Not only just pray and lift him up, but also, Lord, give him words of encouragement, Father, because we know, Lord, this walk is not easy. But, Lord, you give us your strength. Lord, so we just thank you. Thank you for him. Thank you for his call. In Jesus' name. Oh, Lord, we thank you that um, Pastor Dennis has chosen Philippians 3.10 as his uh, insulation scriptures. And we pray that 
everything Paul said there by the Holy Spirit would be true in his life, O oh Lord, and that he would also um, gaze, uh, gain, <clears throat> gain you in all his life and that he would continue to seek you uh, all until he reaches the prize, O oh Lord. Mm-hmm. May he be filled with the, the knowledge of your will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding and that he could pass that on to us such that we were able to receive it and act on it and be built up in the Word of God through your grace. Thank you. Oh God, we thank you for your grace and love. We thank you for the special way that you call us and separate us to do specific works and calling. And we thank you, oh God, for Dennis and that you have called him and brought him to us in a very special way, along with his family. And we thank you for that, O oh Lord. And we pray especially for your blessing upon him. Empower him, enable him to be that person, that servant, that one called to do your work here in our community. Enable him, empower him. May the power of the Holy Spirit be upon him. And, O Lord, we ask that you would help us to have open arms, open hearts, ready to hear, ready to be your servants as we are directed and guided by Dennis. We ask for your blessing upon him, upon his family, upon this, our body, as he is one of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jehovah Jireh, our provider. We appreciate Dennis. He is your masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that were prepared in advance. To you be the glory. Almighty God, we lift up Dennis and Sharon and Joshua and Caleb, Lydia and and Noah, we pray for your protection um, upon them, for your provision. Um, We uh, recognize that our, just as um, our journey is not of human making, but spiritual, we recognize that the battle is not of flesh and blood, but spiritual. And so we pray your protection and provision upon them for each step of this journey. So fill and care and watch um, and uh, shield them on this way uh, that indeed um, uh, in the power of your Holy Spirit your gospel is proclaimed, your scandalous grace is received and lived and your name is glorified. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. You are now a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ here in this place, in this new denomination, and as an assistant pastor for this congregation. Whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Welcome to this ministry.
a gift from, uh, from the session of uh, this uh, particular church. Blessings to you, brother. Amen.